welcome to another episode of Fun Views Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Pops. Today's guest is Mike Zlotnick. Mike moved from Moldova, USSR, to the USA at a very young age of 18. After a 15-year career in IT and risk management, Mike made the shift over to real estate investing. He joined the Tempo Fund in 2009 and eventually went on to launch several other real estate-focused funds with Tempo as the CEO of the company. Mike hosts the Big Mike Fund podcast and consults as a business coach on the side. Mike, thank you for joining me on FundView's podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time out of your out of your very busy day, I'm sure, and all the many things that you're doing to uh, jump on and and share your background, your knowledge, and wisdom on in the real estate uh, industry and and others. Um, so, to start, um, what pulled you into the work of finance, investing, the you know the fund area, fund management? So, Greg, thank you very much for your kind invitation. Appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. And um, I guess uh, I started being a mathematician, sort of finance been natural progression from mathematics. So I also grew up playing chess. So my head works very well in a defined mathematical uh, kind of space, analytical space. So how I got started, it just, you know, it just happened. But um, it's called personality, talents, I don't know, whatever else. I, I very much enjoy this work and I'm good at it. And when you get the combination of uh, something you're good at, something you like, something makes you a, a buck, <laughs> yeah. you wind up uh, making that your career. I was going to say that mathematics is, is great, but if you compare the compensation of a mathematician versus a fund manager, it's a very different uh, different. Uh, upside at least the you know the regular you know at the beginning it's ma- mainly the same i'm sure but uh, the upside's a lot different uh, yeah it's a progression so you if mathematical education helps as a basis but yeah. of course you learn very different techniques as as you become a fund manager and you progress through the career absolutely so um w- let me ask you this when did you move to the u.s i know you're originally from um russia i, I don't know if back then it was even russia at that point but from Russia would love, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in the former Soviet Union and I left. It was still the Soviet Union, 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, still uh, USSR. Gorbachev was the um, leader of the country. And um, so you, if you remember, well, you probably don't remember those days. I, but I don't remember those days. But, but you, you can study them in, in the history yeah. books. Yeah, absolutely. So so when you um, when you left, how old were you? Were you, you were very uh, almost young? Almost 18. Almost 18. Maybe. Okay. All right. Um, so the, hence the chess playing. <laughs> yeah. That's the, you know, it's I good, call it the Russian, Russian national sport, but it's one of the big, big sports over there. It's considered to be a sport. It's, it's both a game yeah. and a sport, obviously. Absolutely. So um, let me, let me ask you this. Maybe, um, you know, moving to the U S as an immigrant, I'm also an immigrant. I'm from Canada. Originally I moved here five years ago. Um, what do you think about the work ethics of immigrants that move to the U.S.? Because I, I feel like a lot of the people that move here, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them are, are in search of more opportunity and therefore might have a, a better work ethic on average. What, do you think that's true? Do you think it's kind of depends or or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, without offending anybody born in America, <laughs> um, immigrants come with... Um, you know, I crack a joke. Um, how do you call somebody who speaks three languages? Bilingual, right? 
Yeah. How about two languages? Bilingual. Bilingual. One language. American. American. <laughs> I cast it. Yeah. yeah well, the same is true with with immigrants. It's the culture. Yeah. It's 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 not just the languages, but it's it's uh, uh, people feel they got a great opportunity to come to the United States. Mm -hmm. It's a great country. It's the best democratic experiment in the history of the world. Um, uh, you know, freedom, opportunity, uh, education, everything is here. So uh, mm -hmm. most immigrants in general have, and I call it cultural, call it uh, option of other choices. There's no entitlement culture. I mean this with all due respect. I'm not saying anything negative. For so sure. they have to work hard, and, and that's pretty basic. Uh, you got to make make a living here, and you didn't, you know, didn't grow up here. I wasn't, you know. So that's, that's the bottom line. If you don't yeah. work, you don't eat. Yeah. Survival mentality. So you got to work. Absolutely, absolutely. It's um, you know, I always think about that survival mentality because I, you know, when I was a student, I was going through school, and and at a certain point, I said, you know, I was I was in school. I was forced to go part time for a year. And working full time, and then I said, I don't want to. I don't want to work like this the rest of my life. I don't want to work paycheck to paycheck and trying to get a, you know, part time education. And and that's one of the big shifts in my, um, in you know, my background was was at that point where I sort of had that had the had been forced into that survival mentality. I feel, um, but it's a good thing. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the yeah, Darwinism the gets you somewhere. The stronger yeah. you survive, you you got to be the strong. You got to fight, you know, and that yeah. make, makes you, you know, learn and improve and grow. Great. So, so after you moved here, um, you know, you're 18. What'd you do when you when you got here? You started school, I imagine, shortly after there, and and um, uh, you studied math, I assume. Exactly. Yeah. So I went to Binghamton, New York. It's a state university of New York. Uh, it's one of the best, um, they call them SUNY colleges, State University mm -hmm. of New York. They have four big campuses, uh, uh, Binghamton, Stony Brook, Albany, and Buffalo. Just a well-known system. And I went to Binghamton. I actually uh, started, I was studying computer science and mathematics. I have a degree formally in um, mathematics. Uh, kind of, I like mathematics a little bit more, the theoretical aspect of it. Uh, but I did, you know, study computer science quite a bit as well, and finance. Well, it's kind of, <laughs> it's funny. I, I I've taken economics and finance classes, and I I, I thoroughly enjoyed them. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, it's definitely a different. Um, I found economics when I started taking economics courses. It changed the way I saw the world, uh, in terms of, you know, everything from opportunity cost to. Um, you know, basic supply demand functions all the way through to the more advanced stuff. But um, definitely interesting. I, I feel like all three of those complement each other in a lot of ways. That's right. Yeah. Um, great. So after you graduated, you you built this career in in mostly IT management. I I kind of saw what's the, the yeah. I started of? so I I um I moved to Rochester, New York originally. Uh, when, mm -hmm. when I immigrated in '89 uh, with my mother, my mother is still there. Um, at this point, you know, um, God bless her. She's 90 and hanging in there. She's still there. Good. And um, so I lived there for less than a year. Went to college and came back for and lived in Rochester for less than a year, starting a computer. Sort of a, got a computer job. I was actually uh, the first job I had was a computer testing job. So I was testing software. I was actually writing test software to test very complex software probably one of the most exciting projects. This is when Eastman Kodak was a great yeah. uh, place to work. 
And uh, remember the project, it was movie post-production. So it was digital editing of a uh, films. So the software was massive. It was running on these super expensive um, supercomputers and had to test the, the software that was doing the movie post-production. So years ago, that was the start. And then uh, less than a year later, I moved to New York City. I had a childhood friend. Um, also chess player moved here, said, come on over, you know, let's rejoin forces <laughs> playing chess. And long story short, I moved to New York. Um, I'm trying to remember, was it 95, 96? And I've uh, been in the city ever since, kind of doing this various types of, um, so from computer testing, kind of evolved into various forms of um, uh, computer test management. At, 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 and then I don't want to get into the uh, classic term, software configuration management yeah. and so on and so forth. Then I became a manager, director, vice president, and essentially uh, had a career in um, various forms of software and information technology. Interesting. And and then eventually you, you made the shift to real estate investing. And was that sudden, a sudden change that you made or, or something that caused you to, to make that change or, or was it kind of more of a gradual? So the path was pretty straightforward. 2000, I started investing in real estate here in New York City. I started with primary residence and then bought more apartments and then houses sort of um, passively. In 2009, I was done with AT. I was tired, burned out. With all due respect to the trade, I love the trade. I have a lot of great friends in the trade. Um, but a lot of responsibility, globally distributed teams, ton of people. Um, it was a good career. There's no argument at all. I was just tired. I, I don't know how else yeah. to put it. So uh, I was ready for 2009. And um, uh, so the original Temple funding was started with the concept of funding short sale flips by my good friend who is still in IT. Mm -hmm. And he said, won't you come and run that because you're tired of IT. And the timing was almost perfect. It's like, okay, I mean, I'll, I'll do that. I like finance. I like all this stuff. And I was burned. And, you know, I had to take a massive pay cut. And uh, But at least I, I start enjoying what, I'm, what I do now. That's good. That's that's really important to, to enjoy what you're doing day to day. But at the end of the day, you got to make money too. So, um, But as a, yeah, you sort of, um, you know, one of the things I think that happened when you left the IT side and moved into tempo was was you became more of an entrepreneur i would imagine and in, and in, in how you thought about a business right from a to z exactly it's an evolution That's it's absolutely from working to other people being you know a senior uh technology executive team and all that stuff uh to being um you know you heard of this expression would you rather be uh tail of a dragon or head of a snake mm -hmm. so I wind up being basically CEO uh, and very quickly um, kind of taking tempo through its evolutions and growing and launching new funds. And yeah, ever since it's been, you know, leadership role rather than um, um, I had leadership roles in the, in the IT, but it's just a different leadership. It's very, you, you kind of, you get to define everything. You get to be yeah. um, both the, the CEO and, and, and many other functions, but it's a it's a fun it's a fun role, but you eat what you kill. As simple as that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and at that point, so you know what what skills, if any, and I'm sure there's some that that you use from your IT and and uh, business intelligence risk sort of um, work. Do you use day to day now? Uh, you know, compared to others that you don't use anymore. 
So number one, I would say this most fascinating is the risk risk management. I mean, you wind up um, thinking about risk, especially investing. It's probably number one thing that you got to think about before making any investment. Kind of you're looking for risk-adjusted return. So risk uh, has two. This was what I learned from mathematics um, in, in, in IT. It's really mathematical definition. But risk has two elements, likelihood and impact. These are the two primary uh, variables of risk. And uh, the same thing you, you do in, uh, in finance and investing. You look mm-hmm. at any opportunity. Uh, we, I run fund of funds, as, uh, a few fund of funds. We invest in deals. We invest mm-hmm. into other funds. We invest into other syndications, LP, GP, and so on. So every day we look at a project, and uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of rosy performance, and we, we look at deals that look great in paper, but we got to dig through into the capital stack. We've got to dig through into a sponsor. Well, we start with the sponsor, but even with a great sponsor, what I see, in the, especially in the last couple of years, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's a pretty substantial change. Uh, the good sponsors that have strong track record, they've evolved their deals uh, where the uh, economics shift a little bit more towards the sponsor versus mm-hmm. the investors because they have a track record. Like I, I call them, unfortunately, they get a little bit fatter. They, they, there's no better way to put it. Uh, and, and great guys, they just feel like they deserve a little more because they've had a track record. And, and and you continue to invest with them, but you got to make sure that you know the next deal is just as as good as the previous one, or at least for the current market condition, it is still a good risk adjusted return deal. So risk management is probably number one thing that I carried across. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. And I, I have seen that in the past couple of years. Specifically, I saw um, recently I saw a fund that I that um, you know same thing built a big track record, lots of assets. They've, you know, uh, graduated from equity side managers. Now they're launching a debt fund. And, um, you know, they, I, I kind of was, was blown away by, you know, the fact that it's a mezzanine debt fund, um, where they securitize the mez debt. And so there's inherent, um, leverage, you know, implied in there. And, uh, at the end of the day, they're charging four and 40. And <laughs> the four and forty on top of that, you're you're essentially they're they're taking a huge amount of risk, um, you know. And the investors are happy if times are good, and they, they can get their eighteen twenty percent, but um, they should be getting thirty five percent for that risk, and not twenty. Um, yeah, that's that's actually a great point. I've discussed this point uh, with a number of folks, and you just cannot state it enough. So, what has happened uh, in the with a number of uh, recent deals is Creative Finance injecting uh, preferred equity and mezzanine debt uh, to juice common equity returns. Now, you, you're talking about mass debt, but I've seen this juicing up of common equity mm-hmm. returns to where they used to be by virtue of risk increases. So, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with this if you get the right risk-adjusted return. But if you're getting returns um, on the level that uh, in the yeah. past was less risk, you're taking more risk and inherently your risk-adjusted return is worse now. Yeah. And then obviously the mass debt, uh, what's really fascinating is depending who invests in these funds. If these are non-sophisticated mom-and-pop investors, now they can be high net worth, but somehow they don't have the sophistication. They don't understand risk. They just don't. Yep. They don't pay attention. They look only at the top line. Uh, it, oh, it's a mess debt fund pays 12%. Wonderful. Well, if it was a first yep. lien debt, 12% would be great. But mess debt that pays 12 
and it's got leverage and they have heavy fees to the manager, if this thing um, runs into problems, you, you guys are going to be, you know, licking the wounds. You're going to be bleeding while the manager is going to make them their money. So these very um, improperly structured risk funds is the problem. And, and sort of uh, the great marketers are the successful folks who are able to push them. It comes down to the ability to market, not necessarily having a good product. So sometimes a great product, we're running you know, high quality funds with institutional level waterfalls. And we're not as powerful marketers and you wind up uh, potentially not getting across to the people who the brilliant marketers can get to. So it becomes an interesting, it's almost like the stuff that's marketed and promoted out there, most of it is unfortunately not as good as if you can get to the right fund by referral because um, the high marketing costs require high fees and you know the whole spiel. Yep. And, and a lot of times brokers are involved and they're getting their piece on top of that. And, you know, this, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so on that note, I mean, what do, what do you think with real estate um, prices relatively high in a lot of places? And, and obviously COVID's thrown things around a little bit and hotels are different than multifamily and everything else. But what, what do you think the future of real estate investing looks like? And um, and what are your thoughts on you know the debt versus equity side of investment in real estate? So now we can talk about the um, macroeconomic theory or individual regions and opportunities. So all real estate is local. You heard that expression before. So it really depends where and depends what kind of asset classes and what, who are the sponsors. It's a composition of all those variables, not just in general. But if you talk about microeconomic theory, the interest rates are low, and they're probably going to go negative. You got Janet Yellen taking the helm at the Treasury, and she was very dovish chair, and she's going to be dovish uh, Secretary of Treasury. And um, the Wall Street is pretty pretty happy about it. It'll continue to inflate asset prices. That That's the general you know, 40,000-foot picture. Yeah. Uh, so uh, as you inflate uh, asset prices, real estate should do well. Um, uh, it, it depends where. I mean, it depends on the strategy. The value adds, like you mentioned, hotels. Uh, like I like hotel conversions to multifamily, affordable, mm -hmm. especially uh, workforce housing. That's a pretty big trend. We're investing in this trend. That's a great opportunity. Uh, would I invest in a performing multifamily at the current cap rates? Well, if you follow the theory that the interest rates are going to go down, the cap rates compress. Maybe it's still a good investment because of that. But beyond that, the the COVID does have some impact depending on the class. So you have to really pay attention who's your audience. Um, the government's throwing a lot of money, but some people are gaming the system. So you have to be really careful with the uh, the assets you buy now. Um, and then uh, overall, uh, it, it, you know, it's a shield against inflation. The way to think about it, with all the money printing, you, you're likely going to see asset inflation, not necessarily CPI. But everybody talks about it, right? We can have mm -hmm. very low CPI and very substantial appreciation on real estate and stocks. Why? One substitution effects. They're killing bonds, right? Equity versus debt. Yield compressing all the returns on the bonds. The only return you can make in the bond is speculation that the rates will go lower or negative. That's the only return you can make in the bonds today. So um, if you can't, well, you could make good returns in that, but uh, risk adjusted, your 
returns in equity is substantially higher if you can pick and choose the right projects, leverage them with dirt cheap debt, long-term debt, and then ride the wave of um, asset inflation. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting the differentiation between like a CPI inflation versus asset inflation because that's that's something I think's been uh, you know completely blown up uh, during COVID where um, you see people who are asset rich now um, but don't necessarily have an income uh, they or a much lower income uh, which is kind of interesting uh, during the crisis. Yeah, I mean. Lots of interesting things happened during COVID. Uh, the government threw a lot of money, so actual uh, payments to, to folks uh, have increased. The um, debt liability payments decreased. People w- w- took advantage of the forbearances, didn't pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, cash positions increased substantially. Uh, low interest rates have driven uh, asset prices up. Um, you got also limited supply as f- foreclosures have been under the moratorium. So you, you got artificial... Uh, inflation in the asset prices because of the government action, both Fed on the rates and uh, uh, you know moratorium on eviction foreclosures. Mm-hmm. So it, it looks like it's going to continue. I mean, under the Joe Biden administration with the Democratic House and, and the Senate, it, it's a likely uh, continue type of a story. Uh, the risk now to the you know investment community is just that the um, Joe Biden is going to get uh, let's tax the rich happy. I mean this with all due respect, right? The but if, if they start cranking up uh, tax rates on, on capital gains and, and and so on, it it will slow down the the expansion. But we are again in a fresh expansion with the new stimulus coming um, in um, low interest rates and so mm-hmm. on. Yeah. It'll be important for um, for all the investors to to kind of focus on that. And it, it's interesting, actually. I read I read an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, this morning that um, it's almost a perfect correlation right now from over the past year um, of stock price to uh, performance of the of that stock. So the cheaper stocks in, in not in value but in dollars um, have outperformed the more expensive stocks. Um, almost solely for the, they were saying kind of for the purpose of um, there's more retail first-time investors out there that perceive um, stock price, uh, if it's a 50 cent or a dollar per share, they perceive that as a bargain versus something that's $100 a share. Uh, Highly speculative, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the one general theory with, with the COVID is that it separated winners and the losers. And then the, the bigger boys, the high-tech firms have done extremely well uh, because of the, um, uh, they, they benefited from from the shutdown, uh, and yeah. and again telecommunications, uh, you know the the the, go- the, the these Googles and the Zooms and and the pipeline providers and so on, and on the other side you got the losers who are your you know retail shops, your restaurants, and a number of uh, brick and mortar businesses that have been suffering, so. Yeah, I, I have not followed uh, the only data that I, I know that about one third of the stocks is up substantially and two thirds is down. So That's uh, interesting. It, it, it was a very interesting observation. I haven't tracked the data la- lately, but a few months ago, that was the the, the observation. Uh, again, the cruise lines, the travel, they're still well below their, their pre-COVID price, um, while 
uh, everyone else uh, in the Amazons and that they're just ripping the rewards of this crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So from there, um, you know, tell me about you run your own podcast, the Big Mike podcast. What's the focus of, of the Big Mike Fund? It's Big Mike Fund podcast. I think it is. Yes, Big Mike Fund podcast. It's a cheesy name, but it's stuck, right? Yeah. It, it kind of goes back to one of the masterminds I go to. Uh, I go to the Collective Genius Mastermind. Again, very cheesy name, but it's just a bunch of really sharp real estate guys around the country. I've been in that mastermind since 2012, almost you know, very early days. And it's movers and shakers. There are a lot of uh, residential specialists and then some multifamily, self-storage and other uh, niche players, and um, uh, you know, I was I was trying to ask them. I want to start a podcast. How should I call it? And I'm known in the group. It's funny, but they've called me for years, uh, Big Russian and B- or Big Mike. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm actually originally from Republic of Moldova, which is not Russia, but <laughs> Soviet yeah. Union. But you know, Russian is a native tongue, so they called me Big Mike or Big Russian. And um, as a uh, you know, became fund manager. Said, "Hey, you're a fund manager. You're Big Mike. So, what you call a Big Mike Fund podcast?" So it's kind of that's how it started. But the podcast is all about uh, real estate and funds and kind of deals. Um, so the audience uh, could learn quite a bit about uh, different uh, specialists. So I could talk to somebody who does distressed commercial debt in New York City, mm-hmm. or I could talk to somebody who does self storage. Um, uh, we from time to time we have investor guests, people who invest. How do they look uh, at the world of uh, investing? From time to time, I'll have a guest. Uh, I recently had um, Frances Newton Stacy. She's a frequent guest on Maria Bartiromo and other um, uh, financial networks, Bloomberg. So various guests that, that we will we will talk about. You know, great economics, real estate opportunities to invest it's a broad subject it's not just catered to one niche it's just more of a very the same way um we invest basically i'm an allocator so Mm -hmm. where the opportunity is we shift and we allocate there same way i think of the podcast it flows with the times if if something exciting comes up we'll, we'll talk about that that makes sense, and it's it's interesting that you have investors on there as well, and it, it, it I think that brings a different um, viewpoint from you know, and and you, you yourself as an allocator, right? It's it brings this this different um, mindset compared to someone who's just you know out there trying to raise capital and invest it um, versus someone who's looking at all the opportunities and saying, well, this is what I'm picking, and this is why. What's most fascinating is on this front is that uh, my job as a diversified fund manager in many ways similar to individual investor when they're trying to build a diversified portfolio, right? It's the same exercise except for I'm playing with bigger dollars. So if somebody wants to invest a couple million dollars and they want to diversify, they wind up solving a problem where they need to build, I don't know what's the right number. You, you hear different diversification theory, uh, 20 to 30 assets. Some Some people say you could do it with 10 to 15. You could do it even with five if they're diversified funds, right? You could mm-hmm. use the other diversified vehicles to diversify further, or you could make certain uh, focused bets in something you like. The same is true for a fund manager. We have same exercise. We have to maintain diversification. At the same time, we got to go find that one home run deal that we really like. And it happens from time to time. I mean, we'll give you an example. We have one big home run deal coming to an exit fairly soon. 
total conversion to multifamily pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. It's funny how old ideas come back, but they were good ideas a few years back if you find the right asset. So yeah, and it's interest. It's interesting. So I'm I'm located in Miami, and I and a lot of the um, a lot of the hotels I find that you know the mid level mid tier hotels were actually initially built um, back in in the in the old in 08, 09. As condos. Built, built as condos and converted to hotels. And now it's going the other direction. It's very interesting to see that that kind of ha- happen and come to fruition. It's, it's different. Yeah, I mean, the condo hotel concept has been around for quite a while. And um, you can easily switch back and forth. I mean, depending on the um, zoning and, you know, it's just a mm-hmm. bunch of paperwork. But conceptually, some of these hotels are, are set up and you're looking for an easy conversion. You're, <laughs> you're looking for to do it. Uh, quickly, so you can actually um, uh, get the units rented. But the question is also, can you get the units to be affordable? That's mm-hmm. the big question. The high end, you could do high end um, apartments. There's nothing fundamentally wrong, but there's a massive oversupply yeah. of the high end apartments. I think, including Miami. So, can you convert a hotel to more supply? Why would you want to? And that that the the opportunity is not necessarily in these high rise. Uh, expensive hotels converting into expensive condos. I don't think that's the right opportunity. The opportunity is to take a hotel that looks like um, a residence in, basically homes Mm -hmm. away from home where you can extend a stay with a kitchenette and a few other things sort of there and convert it to more of a affordable housing, workforce housing that already sits in a residential neighborhood where it's a good fit, fit. That's a better opportunity versus picking up in Miami a high-rise or something in New York and turning it into apartments. New York City has like some obscene number of extra condos that nobody needs. And now mm-hmm. you want to you wanna do more? Who needs that? So, Yeah, it's a good point. And that goes back to the supply-demand equation, right? And, and basic economics where it's like... It's all Yeah, so, sometimes you have to step back and, and, and look at, you know, the basics. The basics tell you the story, right? It's interesting. That's right. That's right. Um, great. So, so what do you think the most pivotal moment of your career was? If you had to pick any point in time where you're like, okay, this is where, you know, I actually, you know, shifted as a person, as a, as a professional from, you know, being, you know, relatively successful to being, okay, this is what I want to do. And this is, and I'm, and I'm very happy with, with how everything's gone. So the pivotal point was the time when I shifted from IT to, uh, real estate. And and really, the, the story went like this. So I had a successful career. I was working for a guy who uh, well, I worked for him in the past. We had a pretty good relationship, and he was a good guy. And he still is a good guy. <laughs> but to yeah. make a long story short, um, he was a chief technology officer. I was VP of some. I can't remember the, the title at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he called me to his office, and um, uh, I thought I was getting a raise. Because it was good results, good performance. He said, Mike, I'm sorry. We are um, shifting, scaling down. There's substantial repositioning. Uh, make long story short, your position mm-hmm. is, is going to be closed. So instead of getting a, a raise, because I thought it, I was, it was doing great, but th- the company was outsourcing, nearshoring to Canada, actually. Yeah. had offices in Yarmouth and Halifax, Nova Scotia. So if, you, you know, if you're from Canada... Yeah. Um, 
and then they were moving to Florida to lower the cost um, uh, to lower the cost of um, uh, you know you don't you don't need Taxes to do New York and... New York office you can, yeah. yeah so <clears throat> the pivot of moid was it was it was it was a wake up call hey now that you are laid off you can actually take action and do something um, that you always wanted to do because it was hard to do before so the transition from uh, a good compensation you know good job security um, mm-hmm. to now you you're basically the CEO and you, your your whole company is two or three people um, it's hard right you start from ground zero and uh, the pivotal moment was pardon me kicking the butt hey you got to do it now can't sit and wait I've been thinking about it for quite a while and I, I enjoy passive investing and and um, I realize real estate is is a far better asset class for a few critical reasons. You can be both active and passive. You can pick and choose uh, obviously what you invest in, and you have a lot of predictability and control. So, uh, and obviously you have the depreciation, you have the leverage of of cheap debt, all all that stuff that enhances that. So, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, that, that's a pivotal moment. Kick in the butt. Now go do it. Don't think about it. Because I had an opportunity to get another job. I, I, yeah. It would have been fairly easy for me. But there was a short transition when I said, I'm going to take a break. And then the break became, hey, I'm working from home. I don't want to go back and, and, and pardon me, schlep into Manhattan every day. So the, the, the quality of life, life improvement became pretty obvious. That's that's interesting. That I mean, it, I, I'm sure a lot of other people have similar stories where, you know, in the face of adversity, something something bad, it wasn't a good thing that happens. You get let go, you know, on the face. But at the end of the day, it was a good thing because it did push you to to make that change, um, you know, and obviously increase your quality of life. And, and now you're sitting here successful running a podcast, running funds and and doing what you love. Um, great. So second uh, major back question. What's the one thing that you're most proud of in your career? What's the one thing, you know, it can be in the IT side, in the real estate side, the one sort of, um, not a pivotal moment, but a, but what you're actually proud of saying, you know, I've done this or, or we've done this, um, you know, from that standpoint. So obviously I'm proud of my kids and progress the kids have made. Uh, my oldest one is going into veterinary school and she's had her challenges. So I'm proud of, of, uh, of her and, and other kids. They are mm-hmm. kind of their accomplishments. Funny as you have kids and you, you know, we get a little bit older and older. Uh, I'm not that old, but you know, it's as your kids grow, you, you measure your own age by the age of your kids. Yeah. And, um, yeah, proud of their accomplishments and successes and, and, and that stuff. But, Kind of one thing sticks out from years. Um, re- one thing I have to say about real estate, it's been boring. I, I mean this, I, I like this, but when things go well, it's just nothing happens. It's kind of just flows. It just happens. So I don't mm-hmm. have a ton of excitement in real estate because it, it just works. Um, the one thing that I'm proud of uh, from my IT career, I work for a company called Intralinks. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're a well-known player now in virtual data room, uh, M&A, uh, digital workspaces. So I worked for them. I was worked there for six and a half years. And for years, I ran their uh, QA department and had other responsibilities. Uh, and um, what I'm proud is it's it's a kind of de facto platform uh, in the uh, virtual 
uh, M&A, Data Room, a number of other loan syndications, a number of other platforms. So the proud part is that kind of the, when I joined it, it was kind of an early startup, early stages, and then became a successful company. And eventually it went, was bought out, went public, rebought out. And so I don't know, people kind of, dislike it. I actually think it was a it was a great place and I enjoyed it and I had great people I worked with. I really enjoyed the number of people I stay in touch with from those days. So I have to recognize that company and kind of where we got it. It's kind of it sticks in my memory as a very positive experience working in the IT world. That's good. Interesting. And and you keep keep in touch with all those people and and uh from back in that in those days. Yeah, some people, some people invest with us. It's kind of a, you know, some of them we've been, you know, friends for many years, for sure. Great. So last question. Uh, what advice would you give someone moving from another country uh, to try to start a life in the U.S.? You have to give one piece of advice to someone that's moving from somewhere else and they want to start a life in the U.S. Work hard. <laughs> right. It's just uh, a... Yeah. Uh, it, it's almost not an advice. They, they're going to work hard. So I, I would say that um, you got to have a dream. I, ideally, you, you don't always know where the journey will lead you. Just um, uh, have a positive attitude. Focus on positive because life can t- can take difficult turns. And, um, you know, coming from a difficult background, whatever challenges you had in your native country, you're already familiar and you're going to keep fighting. Uh, but just focus on positive because what I've observed is true everywhere. You have the good, the bad, and the ugly. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's how life is. Sometimes you have difficult situations. You can't focus on this. If you are positive and maintain focus on successful things, uh, don't let the negative ever get to you. And, and that will let you persevere through any challenges. Great advice. Well, Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you um, jumping on the podcast and, and um, you know, it's definitely some great takeaways and insights into the real estate world in which you're uh, so deep involved, deeply involved with uh, these days. But looking forward to um, keeping in touch and, and um, uh, we'll listen to the Big Mike Fun podcast uh, soon enough. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate your kind invitation. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. Yeah, and if people want to reach out, it's bigmikefun.com or uh, if they want to chat, bigmikecall.com. I have a cheesy name, but you know what's most interesting is one advice I can give anybody. It's very basic, extremely useful tool. So do as I do here. So you, most people use Calendly something slash something there, and that's how they schedule time. The easiest way is buy your own URL. Go find yeah. on GoDaddy, whatever it is. For me, it's bigmikecall.com. And anytime, don't give them a business card. Just tell them, hey, you want to chat? bigmycall.com, and then we can schedule time to chat with you. Perfect. Well, thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Hope yeah. you enjoy the, the rest of your day, the rest of your week, and, um, and we'll talk soon. You too, Greg. Thank you. Yep. And that's all for today's episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share with friends, family, and colleagues to further support FunView's podcast. Until next time. <laughs>